Fathers, I'm glad that you are here today, and I hope that you have a wonderful day today. Someone asked me, do I have a special Father's Day message for today? And I said, well, I feel like I have a special message every day for fathers, for mothers, for all of us. Here's the deal. When you uh, go through the Bible and you preach expositorily, the text kind of drives the message. I've kind of grown tired and weary of the approach of elevating mothers on Mother's Day and praising them only to slam fathers on Father's Day and be so critical of them. I just don't think that's the best way of doing things. So here, today, we are going to continue our text this morning. We're going to wrap up this great theological section of Romans today. So Bible's open. Romans chapter 11. Up to this point, Paul has thoroughly spoken about God's sovereign plan for both the Jews and the Gentiles. And so before he takes on a number of practical issues for the Christian life in the remaining chapters, Paul pauses for a moment and he reflects on the majesty of God, having contemplated God's great plan of salvation for both Jew and Gentile, all Paul could do at this point was to sing a song or a hymn of praise. As someone has once said, our theology becomes our doxology. And Paul's theology turns to doxology, and this is typical of Paul in his writings. For instance, In the book of Ephesians, after he lays the magnificent theological foundation in the first three chapters of Ephesians, he breaks out into song in Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 20, when he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church, And in Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever, amen. And so, the reality remains that no human being can fully know or comprehend the mind of our Lord. The more that we study His ways, the more we offer Him praise. Our text this morning concludes with these final four verses, beginning in verse number 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became His counselor? Or who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? For from Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul is enthusiastic. Paul is in awe of the depth of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. The full wonder of God's omnipotence is way beyond human understanding. It staggers even the most mature Christian mind, including the mind of the Apostle Paul himself. 
God has a plan, a perfectly sovereign, a perfectly righteous, a perfectly just plan. A plan that is magnificent, marvelous. And unable to, to further explain the infinite and holy God to a finite and sinful men, Paul acknowledges that God's judgments are unsearchable and His ways are unfathomable. Scripture is God's divine revelation of both Himself and His will. God has graciously given us the Word of God not to mock us, not to confuse us, but rather to educate and to lead us to Himself. So so how comforting and encouraging it is to know that His Word contains all that is necessary according to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. His Word contains all that is necessary for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness in order for us to be adequate and equipped for every good work. Our gracious God has given unto us all that we need to know Him, to trust Him, to believe in Him, and to serve Him. But no matter how diligent we are in studying His Word, we too must confess like David did in Psalm 139, verse number 6, where he declares, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. As Paul, in his praise, ascends in this doxology, Paul presents three rhetorical questions Each of these questions serve to exalt God. The answer to these questions should be obvious and should be clear. The first two questions are quoted from Isaiah. They come from Isaiah chapter 40. The first two questions are, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became His counselor? Both questions have the same answer, and the answer is no one. No one. We can think about or we can contemplate the mind of the Lord, but only the Lord Himself can truly know it. And so Paul is not talking about the countless unrevealed things about God when he says this. No, he's speaking about the depths of the things which we know about Him. The things that we know through His self-revelation. What Paul is saying, the reality is, is that even the partially knowable truths that God has given unto us, they even conceal these elements that are far beyond our ability to completely comprehend. Paul is pointing out that God alone knows the plan. God alone in His unsearchable wisdom, He alone is the one that designed this plan. No human being was, no human being is, 
No human being will ever be involved in giving God advice or suggestions. He need not our input on the matter. He's got it all figured out. Paul's third question. This third question comes from the book of Job. Job chapter 41, verse number 11. Paul, quoting from Job here, says, Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? In other words, because no, no one was before God. Nobody existed before God. So since nobody is before God, no one can give to God which has not first been received from God. And so the answer to the question, again, obviously, is no one. No one. Who has given to him that it might be paid back to him again? No one is the answer. Which is to say that God is sovereignly self-sufficient in and through all things. I mean, God owes nothing to the Jews. God owns nothing to the Gentiles. God owes absolutely nothing to anyone. God is in sovereign control. No one can put God in debt to themselves. No one can claim that they gave something to God, therefore God must then give them something in return. No one can make God indebted unto themselves because God owes us absolutely nothing. Each and every one of us have rejected and rebelled against Him. We have all chosen to go our own way. As we already mapped out in Romans earlier, we have all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So we do not deserve nor can we earn the favor of God. No, if, if we are to receive the favor of God, then we are to receive it only because He has chosen to freely give it to us. The implication of these series of questions is that no one can fully understand the mind of the Lord. No one has been, is, or will be His advisor. And God owes absolutely nothing to any of us. God alone possesses absolute power and absolute wisdom. And in conclusion to this reality, Paul stands in awe and he rejoices that. Look at verse number 36. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. He starts with from Him. From God are all things. God created everything out of nothing. Ex nihilo. Out of Nothing. John 1.3 says that all things came into being through Him. Apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So all things come from 
God. So from God are all things, but not only that, through God are all things. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 16 says, For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. All things. And this is the crescendo of the the laying of the theological foundation that Paul has been going through in these 11 chapters in Romans. Paul has some practical things that he's anxious to tell the church, but before he can get to the practical aspects, he's laying the groundwork for that theological foundation so that once we understand the foundation on which we are, then we can rightly apply that in how we live our lives. And he's got so much to still unpack. Like We're just getting started in all of this. We're now coming to a conclusion of chapter 11, but we still have five more chapters to go. And five more chapters to go are going to tell us how we're to be living our lives, especially when we profess to believe in Him. Our lives should look radically different than the rest of the world. The problem that exists today is that the professing believer looks too much like the world in which we live in rather than the world in which we belong to, and that's heaven. We're to look like citizens of heaven rather than citizens of this world. And so that's what Paul wants to get to. And that's what I've been wanting to get to for two years now. But I knew like two years ago, I wanted to jump right into to Romans chapter 12. But I was like, it's not fair. We're going to like miss the foundation if we don't do the work to get us there. So we're like really close to getting to where I wanted to be a few years ago. That's exciting to me. I can't wait. It's been a wonderful journey. And here's, here's where I, I kind of was, was struggling with, with last week because this, this final conclusion, this, this song of praise that Paul has just wraps it all up and then he lays down the framework on, okay, now that you understand who you are, what God's plan is, this is how you're supposed to live, right? So then last week I found myself, well, do I go ahead and just knock out verses uh, 33 through 36 and go a little bit long? Or do I just wait and go a little bit short on this week? Obviously, I chose to wait, which is good news for you today, because we are almost done. It's my Father's Day treat to dads. Amen. From Him are all things. Through Him are all things. And furthermore, from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. Everything in the work of creation is to Him. All things exist for God. All things exist for His goodness and for His glory. Simply put, all things were created by Him. All things created exist through Him. and 
all things exist for him. When, when I read this, I can't help but think about Revelation chapter 4 at this point. In Revelation chapter 4, it goes like this in verse number 10. It says, like, with the, the 24 elders who will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before their throne then we too will join those 24 elders in verse number 11. We will say, Worthy are You, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and because of Your will, they exist and were created. Glory. Hallelujah. What a great praise. And so what more can we say other than what Paul has said? To Him be the glory forever. Amen. The simple doxology draws a a, a line between the theological foundation and the five final chapters that relate to Christian duty or, or how we're to live our lives. And so when we pick up in, in chapter 12, may you know that uh, it took us 45 or 46 messages just to get to this point. And Lord only knows how many messages it'll take to get us through the end. But, but may we know that, that God loves us and He desires that we submit and surrender our lives unto Him. And when we submit and surrender our lives unto Him, we're supposed to look and live differently than the world in which we dwell. For His honor, for His glory, and for His praise. The reality is, It is time to make our behavior match our belief. So may the Lord guide us, correct us, and encourage us with His Word. And how will you know that you truly believe in the Son of God? I think evidence of knowing is when you do with your hands and your feet, your mouth, when your actions, your words, and your deeds begin to match your profession, then I believe that helps to give us confidence in knowing that we truly believe. We are to look different than the world that we live in. We are to act different. We are to love differently. We are to sacrificially serve one another. We are to put a high value on proclaiming the Word of God. We are to work tirelessly in getting the Gospel out there. We are to be engaging in any opportunity that we possibly can to tell other people about God and about His Son 
about the hope of heaven that's found in submitting and surrendering our lives unto the Savior. The reason why God doesn't just zap us and take us to heaven and immediate, immediately when we submit and surrender our lives unto Him is because there's still work to be done in and through our lives. God has beautifully designed it so that we get to be partakers in sharing the gospel and that we get to be the messengers of the good news so that other people can hear that good news and submit and surrender their lives to the Savior in the same manner that we have. And so we have a world, we have a community, we have neighborhoods right here that are in desperate need of hearing and responding to the gospel. And those that belong to Him We have a part to play. We have roles and we have responsibilities. We're going to see in chapter 10, um, in chapter 12, that we're a team. We're organized in such a way that each and every one of its members has an important function to be carried out. And it's only when the entire body is working together that we'll have greater effectiveness. But if some of our members aren't engaging, aren't serving, aren't doing, then not only are you hurting yourself, you're weakening the effectiveness of this church. And no amens to that one. We don't like to talk like that. The chain is as strong as its weakest link. You understand that? Each and every child of God has been gifted by the Holy Spirit with to be able to, to serve Him. And if you're not serving Him, it's having an adverse effect upon you and your walk with God because you're living in disobedience. And it's, and it's limiting the effectiveness of the church. That should weigh heavy on us. That we should all desire to be doing our part for the glory of God. We'll go through this journey together.